0: Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10, or two months' access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new reader. This week, we have a talk by the Reverend Gerald Robinson-Brown, titled Prophetic Rage, Fire Shut in My Bones. It was given last Saturday at an online conference, How to Rage, Theology, Activism and the Church, organised by SCM Press. We also publish an edited extract from the talk in this week's Church Times. Jarrell says, There is no such thing as a prophetic life, which is content to be prophetic in language only. Prophetic living, if it is of God, moves us to ask not just what must be said, but more crucially, what must be done. The talk was recorded before the row about a tweet that Jarrell sent about the clap for Captain Sir Tom Moore, for which he has since apologised. Tickets to watch back the live stream of the How to Rage conference are available at scmpress.com events.
1: My location in the world as someone who is black, gay and Christian has meant that there has been little refuge from the violence and injustice that brings an emotion like rage to birth in a person's life. This location has rendered rage not only necessary, but meant that it comes to me endowed with a certain utility, survival. I also had a very real experience, the beauty of being Jamaican and the descendants of those who in St. Thomas on the 11th of October, 1865, raged and rebelled against white colonizers in Morant Bay, led by a Christian preacher who knew that rage and rebellion could be holy. I say that to say that rage is an old friend, certainly no stranger. And those of us who are keen to condemn rage as inherently unchristian, I suspect Do so because life, present and past, has not yet necessitated rage, either as a form of expression or more essentially as a weapon of survival. To those who know what it means to be human in the face of death, rage is no foe. Rage functions on many levels. There is the rage a young boy feels when, looking out on the world, he realizes that his father is absent and feels this absence uniquely. That rage is perhaps directed to the universe, perhaps even to God. There is a rage I knew walking into school one day and seeing my friend Billy's chair empty in the classroom. Billy Cox, murdered, shot dead just 13 years old in his bedroom by two other boys. That anger was directed at our teacher who wanted another boy to sit in Billy's seat that same week as though nothing had happened. For me, it was too soon. I raged wanting to know why it was that bodies could vanish without explanation, without interrogation, without rage. Then there's a rage directed at systems, the kind of rage I felt innocently walking the streets with a group of school friends, only to be singled out by my blackness, pulled aside and frisked publicly, like property. Not a human, just an IC3 male. It is the rage I felt leading Lyle Tullock's memorial service in Southwark. I rage, wanting to know who it was that caused those 13 stab wounds and why I lived in a world that, although it eventually sentences murderers, seemed utterly disinterested in what made a knife or a gun. The chosen language of young black men like myself in a racist, capitalist and unjust world that saw us as nothing other than inherently violent. Boys who grew up and who sometimes knew the intruding intimacy of a white uniform touch more than the tenderness of those who helped bring us into this world. No, to us, rage was no stranger. It was the thing that kept us alive before we knew we truly wanted to live. We came to our parents as children, born black, male, and therefore endangered. All our boyhood plans of wanting to be music stars, astronauts, medics or the one who found the cure to cancer were cut short because of the cancer we might call the willful neglect of a too often apathetic majority. There is a litany of people I have left behind who did not make it. And now it is Billy, Lyle, Naomi, so many others who endow my rage with a generational consciousness. They make the rage I feel today, not my own, but theirs. A rage rooted in the desire for life and all that pertains to it. A rage rooted in a commitment to the fullness of life for every life, because it is a rage which has seen and known the omnivorous nature of death. Somewhere between black nihilism and Afro-pessimism, rage situates itself as a necessary response to the present culture, In which resisting empire and establishing alternative visions of this world are the only things that speak to me now of the possibility for hope peace justice reconciliation and redemption in this world where love is in famine and the inadequacy of christianity as an institutional system is clear i hear the raging words of the prophets deeply for whenever i speak i must cry out I must shout violence and destruction for the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, then within me there is something like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I am weary with holding it in and I cannot. So reads Jeremiah 20 verses 8 to 9. These words reveal the prophet jeremiah losing his cool with a god about whom he can't stop speaking a god whose word has become a reproach and derision and this feeling whatever is going on in jeremiah he describes as fire burning within him shut up in his very body the prophetic is clearly something physical prophets feel they feel both the power of god's word and the desperate agony of the world not in their minds but in their bodies sometimes this agony is so deep it causes them to walk around totally naked if you're isaiah or in micah's case to threaten nakedness you could say that the prophet's heart and god's heart really become one the prophet feels what god feels and so prophetic sympathy prophetic solidarity is the assimilation of the prophet's life with the divine life When the brokenhearted and downtrodden declare that nobody knows the trouble i've seen the prophets remind the world that god knows sees and feels and that god is not indifferent to human agony because of this it is always really god who rages in the prophetic word and because the rage is god any prophetic rage always finds its end in the communal it's always a rage shaped like advocacy before God for the weak and the persecuted. Jeremiah finds that the word of God restlessly inhabited him. We could say that for the prophet, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. But Jeremiah doesn't entirely embrace this feeling. In fact, he hates it and who can blame him. Only a few verses earlier, Jeremiah was slapped in the face and beaten. He's put into stocks, left overnight by Pasha, son of Imma the priest. He may have been dangled upside down for some time, and yet when he's released, he isn't fatigued, but actually still defiant. When that little ordeal is over, he's clearly not happy with God. He's been publicly humiliated, regrets his calling, yet finds himself telling truth to power. You, Pasha, and all who live in your house shall go into captivity and to Babylon you shall go. There you shall die and there you shall be buried, you and all your friends to whom you have prophesied falsely. No, Jeremiah cannot shut his mouth. Like Socrates in line 24a of Plato's Apology, Jeremiah discovers that parhesia, bold speech, was the cause of his unpopularity. The prophet's vocation is one, it seems, of unending wrestling, of grief and of torment. Wrestling with the world, wrestling with injustice, wrestling with God. Jeremiah, though, has a prophetic reluctance which, unlike other prophets, he doesn't seem to ever outgrow. Before I fashioned you in the belly, I knew you. And before you came out of the womb, I consecrated you. A prophet to the nations, I made you. So begins the prophetic life, inherently personal, deeply individual. Like every life, it begins under the gaze of a God who says, I know you better than you know yourself. And the air you breathe is not there for nothing. It has a purpose, like the ground upon which you stand, the context you inhabit, the name you carry and the community you belong to. God shows God's self as a God who knows and names the Billies and Lyles of our world. Like the voice of God calling Samuel asleep in the temple. So the voice of God to Jeremiah says, you have a purpose and therefore everything around you might just have a purpose too. At the simplest level, the prophetic is the awareness that life and all that pertains to life has a meaning. A meaning that the prophets exist in the world to constantly remind us of. Like the empty chair of a murdered schoolboy in a South London classroom, the prophetic points to the vacant places where life once was and could still be if only the world were different. We could say that the prophetic life is rooted in the awareness that nothing exists that is not imbued with the dignity and worth of God. And that you might just know nothing and understand nothing except that everything around you is filled with divine value. It's in the presence of this God, both pre-existent and awesome, articulate yet hidden, one who calls and consecrates you before you know anything of rage or anger or injustice, that the prophetic life of which rage may be a large part begins. It's a prophetic life rather than a moment because it demands everything. The attention, the love, the emotion of the one who has received the prophetic vocation. The prophetic life, if Jeremiah is anything to go by, is therefore not chosen. And it is a life for which the one who is called is woefully ill-prepared. Alas, O Master, Lord, I know not how to speak for I am but a lad. And the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, look, I have put my words in your mouth. The prophet, it appears now, is both a speaker and a witness. One whose mouth has been filled and whose eyes have been directed. Look, says the Lord, I have put my words in your mouth. Words which are not the property of the prophet and a gaze now which is no longer their own. They live now in fellowship with the feelings of God, in communion with the divine consciousness and inhabit an existence in covenant, not so much with other people, but with the truth, a truth which will summon not just society to maturity, but the prophet themselves. The prophetic individual has now only two companions, love and truth. They are often a person of agony whose reputation is at stake in everything they say, because it is God who has filled their mouth with the words which no one else can speak. We should be fascinated, I think, by what it is that takes someone from not knowing the words they should speak. Someone like Jeremiah, a young boy who does not know what to say, to being one filled so powerfully with urgent insight that they feel as though their bones are on fire. And at this point i want to suggest that prophetic rage is perhaps oxymoronic that those two words prophetic and rage might not truly belong together to even talk about prophetic rage might be to begin to undermine what the prophetic is because there is when honestly interrogated nothing prophetic about an anger which finds its limits in the realm of speech you can easily neglect That one of the defining qualities of rage is its connection to violence. A fire that rages is said to be violently out of control. The dictionary defines rage as violent and uncontrolled anger and violent action. Rage is oxymoronic with the prophetic, then, whenever we conceive of rage as mere energetic speech or passionate feeling. And in our world, both the loud and the busy, so long as they are loud and busy doing good, might be described as prophetic. Rage, however, in the proper sense, transgresses its own contours, redefines its own borders, pushes language beyond itself into action, so much so that it finds itself, language that is, moving us in rhythm with God, moving the body until it speaks in the key of heaven. The only prophetic rage appears now, as that which has the capacity to become action good trouble we might say even violence pathetic rage moves us into spaces and environments where our prophetic behavior might be deemed pathetic pitiable and feeble whilst there are those who criticize the injustices of the day but for whom they fundamentally remain tolerable Those who are in any prophetic tradition find that injustice assumes cosmic proportions. Whilst the world so often, in denial of the catastrophic, is fast asleep, Prophet feels the call from heaven saying, wake up, sleeper. We could say that rage is prophetic when you can do nothing about it. And when being able to do nothing about it is evidently the work of the spirit. Now, it could be easy, even here, to associate what we might imagine as prophetic rage with strength and violent action of the worst kind. Jesus flipping tables wasn't, in my view, his most prophetic act. Jesus was at his most prophetic washing feet, showing solidarity with those about to be stoned and breathing his last breath beside criminals on the cross to whom he offers eternity in each of those actions jesus identifies himself like a true prophet with the last the least and the lost with the weak and the suffering and the disinherited jesus proves the possibility of an alternative world by where he puts his body the prophetic dynamic of rage if it exists demands that our theological commitments do not remain silent in the face of evil That they speak to the present moment in accordance with the will of God. Our vision of that alternative world awakens us to the reality that the only prophetic rage, if it exists, can penetrate the depths of human despair because prophetic language is both intimately divine and eerily human. What I'm trying to say is that there's no such thing as a prophetic life which is content to be prophetic in language only. Prophetic living, if it is of God, moves us to ask not just what must be said, but more crucially, what must be done? And this is the question that burned in the hearts of those who raged before us. What must be done about this evil, about this injustice, about this hunger, about this poverty, about this corruption, about this oppression? Prophetic rage is specific and relentless. It's not just anger directed nowhere and to nothing and to no one. It encourages us not simply to name our fears or to face our enemies, rather it asks each each person, where does it hurt? And who made it hurt? And where are the people or the systems that hurt you? And how can they be stopped? Anger, St. Thomas Aquinas says, is the passion that moves the will to justice. For me, anger coupled with discernment is always a sign of hope because anger begins to move us, sometimes literally move our bodies to do something about what it is that has caused us to rage. Angry people who find themselves at the edge of speech know that mere language cannot solve the fire within them. If prophetic rage exists at all, We must ask ourselves what it is that gives rage its prophetic quality. What it is that pushes rage so that it becomes something more than just noise. The prophetic quality of rage causes you to realise that your silence, your complacency, your lack of anger is actually not a virtue, but sin. It's a rage which I think is born of consciousness at the Black Lives Matter protests in London last year, I saw more than one placard which read, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. Prophetic rage is more than a momentary knee jerk reaction to injustice. It's a rage born of attention and attention is born of love. Simone Weil says that attention taken to its highest degree is the same thing as prayer. It is the rarest and purest form of generosity. And so attention to God is what enables us to pay attention to the world. And to pay attention to the world is to be postured towards the world in love. Prophetic rage is about adopting God's posture towards the world as those who are in the world. It is a rage born from wrestling with a God in prayer Who has said that he would dwell not just in the light but also in thick darkness it was attention to god that led to the rage of the prophets it is a rage born in prayer and solitude and let us remember that jesus had to go into the wilderness before he could march into the temple and flip tables moses has to commune with god at horeb before he can face pharaoh Ezekiel and Isaiah have to pay enough attention to the God who gives them scrolls to eat and who rests burning coals on their lips before they can prophetically open their mouths against the disorder of their world. They have to enter the depths of dry and empty valleys. So there can be no prophetic rage without encountering God in prayer and mystery. Perhaps we come to know the true source of our rage when we examine our broken-heartedness before God in prayer. In a world in which God seems so often to be absent, Walter Brueggemann touches on how the kings of this world, the principalities and powers, try to convince us, those of us who feel rage, that nothing can change. He writes, "Passion, as the capacity and readiness to care, to suffer, to die, and to feel, is the enemy." of imperial reality. Imperial economics are designed to keep people satiated so that they do not notice. Its politics are intended to block out the cries of the denied ones. Its religion is to be an opiate so that no one discerns misery alive in the heart of God. Pharaoh, the passive king in the universe, in the land without revolution or change or history or promise or hope is the model king For a world that never changes from generation to generation that same fixed closed universe is what every king yearns for let me tell you that in a time when footballers are having to fight for our children to be fed well in a society that has so much wealth that fixed closed universe that kings yearn for is precisely the kind of universe that we may have settled for. Sometimes, rage is the only thing that disturbs and disrupts the palaces of these societal kings. Sometimes, rage is the only thing that gets the high and the mighty to notice the manifold sicknesses at work in a disordered and disunited kingdom. Sometimes, rage is the only thing that gets the rich to notice the poor, the white to notice the black, the straight to notice the gay. And to stop and think, why are they so angry? And why does that anger appear to be directed at me? You see, the difference between the prophet and the king is that kings are guaranteed to have no interior life within which they are not the center. They cannot hear the voice of God or the voice of the poor. Martin Luther King said that a riot is the language of the unheard, and so many are unheard in our world. In this world which has through oppression looted the linguistic arsenal of the poor and the oppressed. Prophetic rage puts both its mouth and its body where its heart is. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, who found that his prayers during the civil rights movement could not just be spoken, but instead led his very body to march with Martin Luther King at Selma, wrote about the prophets and their fury that Instead of dealing with the timeless issues of being and becoming, of matter and form, of definitions and demonstrations, the prophets are thrown into orations about widows and orphans, about the corruption of judges and affairs of the marketplace. Instead of showing us a way through the elegant mansions of the mind, the prophets take us to the slums. The world is a proud place, full of beauty, but the prophets are scandalized and rage as if the whole world were a slum. They make much ado about paltry things, lavishing excessive language upon trifling subjects. Their breathless impatience with injustice may strike us as hysteria. We ourselves witness continuously acts of injustice, manifestations of hypocrisy, falsehood, outrage, misery. But we rarely grow indignant or overly excited. To the prophets, even a minor injustice assumes cosmic proportions. For me, to be full of prophetic rage and that generational consciousness I mentioned earlier means that I have an awareness that Moses, Miriam, Jeremiah, Amos, Isaiah, Harriet Tubman, Fannie Lou Hamer, Huey P Newton, Nina Simone, Jimmy Baldwin and Cicely Tyson are mad with me about the state of the world too. That their fire, their love and their prayers guide mine and drive me on to such an extent that my rage does not devour me, but instead becomes what it needs to be. Fuel for tomorrow's labor and next week's love in action. Burning slow and steady but determined prophetic rage is rage committed to the fact that things could be different if only we dreamed with the imagination of god allowed fear to shape rather than hinder us and each and together dug deep to find the courage we need courage which we find in our conviction that we are all of us always objects of divine concern and recipients of divine love Prophetic rage is that love of God in action. It is the raging love of our ancient God moving in this modern age. It is God's liberating power, Christ's revolutionary vision and the Holy Spirit's courageous fire that moves those of us who remain maladjusted and through it, we realize that so much of what we see as final is a myth, that there are no race issues or gay issues or gender issues there are just people and systems and institutions that refuse to give up power and privilege and wealth and who are because there is a kingdom of God and a kingdom of evil quite content to have their knee on other people's necks. In the words of Cornel West, our last and only hope is prophetic fight back a moral and spiritual awakening that puts a premium on courageous truth-telling and exemplary action by individuals and communities as the descendants of those who were renamed and purchased branded and brutalized suspected and fetishized I know that it was rage and love and courage that set us free. And in this world that still despises our freedom, it is clear to someone like me that prophetic rage will never be redundant, but even more necessary until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. So friends, rage. And rage well. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk. If you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times, you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more. The music for this podcast was provided by Sought After Sounds. Tune in next Friday for the next episode.